The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. Testing's rolled out for essential workers. I want to make it as easy as possible for people to get a test. Scotland announces its strategy for lifting the lockdown. And it may force the UK government to follow suit and be more transparent about their plan. And why aeroplanes are still landing in the UK. This is coronavirus, the latest from The Telegraph. I'm Theodora Leloudis. Essential workers and their families in England will be able to book coronavirus tests on the government website from Friday. The Health Secretary, Matt Hancock, confirmed the process would be free and said it's part of getting Britain back on her feet. The government also said 18,000 people would be hired to help trace infections in order to implement a test, track and trace strategy once the lockdown's lifted. It comes after the chief medical officer said some form of social distancing would be in place until after a vaccine or treatment found, which could be next year. Today, scientists at Oxford University began human trials on a vaccine candidate, a stage that normally takes years to reach. They're one of two main teams partially funded by the government, hoping to develop a vaccine, the other being Imperial College London. The Telegraph's Harry de Ketville says the two groups have the same aim, but different strategies. Both have moved at incredible speed to human trials. This week, 510 volunteers in five groups are being given the first injections in the Oxford trial. Some will get a controlled dose, others will get a harmless virus modified to look like the SARS-CoV-2 virus behind COVID-19. The hope is that the modified virus, which mimics a distinctive spike shape on the outside of the real thing, will spur the body's defences into action, protect it from future attack. The team at Imperial, meanwhile, plan to take a harmless slice of the genetic code from the coronavirus, fold it into a self-replicating molecule known as a plasmid, and inject that into our bodies, getting our own cells to use the code to build that notorious spike, hopefully generating the same protective response. So far, Imperial has carried out tests on animals and are not due to start human trials until June. Together, the two efforts have received more than £40 million from the government to conduct these trials. Their differences should increase the chances of success, as there are many potential problems researchers face in the development of vaccines. And a vaccine is widely regarded as humanity's best shot of truly defeating, rather than just managing, COVID-19. Despite increased speed, however, there will still be a wait. Initial trial results will not be back for six months at the earliest, and bigger trials will then almost certainly be needed. After that, any successful vaccine would need to be manufactured in vast quantities, potentially billions of doses. All that has most experts suggesting it will be mid-2021, at the very earliest, before we might all be getting a shot in the arm we can really look forward to. Nicola Sturgeon has become the first leader in the union to announce plans to begin lifting the lockdown. Scotland's first minister said small incremental steps would be taken to ease the measures, with some remaining in place into next year or beyond. Ms Sturgeon raised the prospect of pupils being sent back to school part-time and with limits on class sizes, and also said the lockdown could be eased earlier in different parts of the country. But she was certain about one thing. Social distancing is here to stay. It's only when we are sure that the virus is under control that we can even start to ease any of the restrictions. 
when we do reach that stage, the virus will be under control only because of the severity of the restrictions we're all living with just now. Social distancing and limiting our contacts with others will be a fact of life for a long time to come, certainly until treatments and ultimately a vaccine offer different solutions. So that means possibly for the rest of this year and maybe even beyond. The Telegraph Scotland editor Simon Johnson says the lack of firm detail will serve the Scottish government well. Nicola Sturgeon's unveiling of a coronavirus lockdown exit plan today was a masterclass in public relations. The document itself doesn't actually provide any firm timetables for when schools or businesses will reopen north of the border. Instead, it outlines the principles that she will use in making those decisions and provides a sort of first sketched outline about what Scotland will look like over the coming months. Gatherings will be banned for some time to come. And she also warned people across the UK to expect repeated lockdowns at very short notice. Now, on the face of it, these measures are actually no different from the options being examined by the UK government in England. Ms Sturgeon has also previously said she would prefer if Scotland moved out of lockdown at the same pace as the rest of the UK. But by coming out first with her plan, she was able to portray herself as leading the way and doing her own thing at a time when people south of the border are chafing at the bit for the restrictions to end. Her promise to treat Scots like grown-ups and have a conversation with them aims to bring people with her as the lockdown restrictions grow more frustrating. And of course, it doesn't hurt from her point of view if people want to compare and contrast her approach with the silence from Westminster on its strategy. And it may force the UK government to follow suit and be more transparent about their plan. Up to half of all the coronavirus deaths in Europe have occurred in care homes, according to the World Health Organization. The WHO's regional director for Europe said on Thursday that the number of people dying in the care sector was an unimaginable human tragedy. The WHO's regional director for Europe said on Thursday that the number of people dying in the care sector was an unimaginable human tragedy. It comes as new figures reveal at least 400 people are dying with COVID-19 every day in care homes in England. The new figures show around 2,000 deaths linked to coronavirus in care homes in England between April the 11th and April the 15th, compared with just under 1,000 in the previous week. And more up-to-date data from Scotland suggests deaths in the care system could soon overtake those in hospitals. Earlier, I spoke to Dr Selina Langdon. She told me a lack of resources is putting care workers in a difficult position. Doctors and NHS staff and people that are working within that sector are just having to make very, very difficult decisions because when you are trying to allocate resources in this scenario, you're probably in a very difficult situation where you're having to make decisions about who is going to benefit most from that care. And it's, it is a shame that we're in that situation because we shouldn't have to be making those decisions because actually everybody should be entitled to equal care. That's what, you know, the, what the NHS has always stood for. It's very scary that people are now in that position where they're having to decide, well, actually, if somebody is younger and has a higher chance of survival, that they might be allocated a bed or a type of resource versus somebody, um, unfortunately, of an older generation who might not have the same outcome. I don't think anybody would want to see their older relative put to one side and, you know, not offered care. <laughs> 
The number of people infected with COVID-19 during the first wave of China's outbreak may be up to four times higher than official figures suggest. By the 20th of February, Chinese authorities had reported around 55,000 cases, but analysis published in the Lancet Medical Journal found the true figure could have been as high as 230,000. It comes amid controversy around China's reported numbers. The country's been accused of covering up the extent of its outbreak, an accusation it flatly denies. So is the latest modelling evidence of a cover-up. The Telegraph's global health security correspondent Sarah Newey says it's more likely a matter of semantics. Between January the 15th and March the 3rd, China's National Health Commission issued seven different case definitions, setting the guidelines for how medics on the ground should classify coronavirus patients for official numbers. Researchers at the University of Hong Kong have now analysed how these changes alter the trajectory of the country's epidemiological curve. The modelling found that with each adjustment, the proportion of infections detected rose by between 2.8 and 7.1 times. The broadest definition of a coronavirus patient was the fifth iteration of these guidelines, which were announced by the government in early February. This case definition said that official numbers should include those diagnosed by symptoms alone, rather than require infections to be confirmed by both clinical symptoms and laboratory tests. This decision provoked some controversy at the time and led to a substantial spike in cases, including a jump of around 15,000 in a single day. Authorities later reversed that decision and once again narrowed down the case definition of a coronavirus patient. But this new modelling has found that had this broad classification, including non-lab confirmed tests, been in place since the start of January, then as many as 232,000 people may have been diagnosed with COVID-19 by February the 20th. So what does this all mean? Has there been a cover-up? Well, some eyebrows will definitely be raised, especially after China identified almost 1,300 more fatalities in Wuhan last week, which increased the city's death toll by 50%. The country has claimed this is down to reporting delays. But experts have been quick to note that actually it's incredibly normal for the case definition of a new virus to change during an epidemic as scientific knowledge evolves and laboratory capacity changes. However, researchers added that the really key thing to take into account is that we've got to be careful about how we track the growth rate of an epidemic. You know, case definitions will impact what the epidemic curve looks like. And there are concerns that by potentially missing thousands of cases, then the reproductive rate of the outbreak might have been overestimated. In early March, many of us were still booking holidays. In late April, we're frantically trying to cancel them. Heathrow Airport normally sees around 600 planes landing every day. 90% of those have now been halted. But that means one-tenth are still arriving. And a listener called Alistair got in touch to ask why. He wrote, A few planes continue to fly over my house in Dulwich. Do the arriving passengers have to go into quarantine or are they free to travel the country? If not, why not? Some countries have closed their borders, New Zealand, for months to come, yet we still seem to be an international hub. Alistair, thank you so much for your question. This isn't actually something we've covered on the show, so I'm really glad you brought it up. Uh, Here with an answer much more insightful than my own is our deputy travel editor, Ben Ross. Well, yes, Alistair. When I walk outside at the moment, I am noticing far fewer cars, obviously, and bright blue skies. But I do see the odd plane overhead and you do notice them almost even more because they seem so rare at the moment. Um, Flights are still operating to and from a few destinations. British Airways and some other airlines have been keen to see key routes stay open. So they're flying from Heathrow to Dublin and to Edinburgh 
New York and even Tokyo, among other places. So international travel is still on the cards, as you say. But this is only for essential travel. So people can move around for essential work or an emergency. I wonder if a lot of the aircraft you see could also be cargo planes. Heathrow usually handles an average of 47 cargo movements a week, which seems very specific. But we recently reported that this figure has swelled by over 240%, and that figure is rising because, of course, airlines are adapting to carrying essential supplies rather than just passengers, which makes huge sense. Now, in terms of your question about checks at Heathrow, the short answer is no, passengers aren't being checked and our borders are still open. This has drawn criticism, and there is certainly an argument to be made that we should have closed borders when the disease was still working its way around the world. But now it seems so widespread in the UK that closing borders would have very little effect. And that's the UK government's argument anyway. Some countries like France are only permitting travellers on essential business, and many, probably the majority of countries in the world, are requiring arrivals to go in quarantine. The rest are banning flights entirely. If your sitting room is also starting to feel rather samey, I fully sympathise. Today, I have moved from the table to the sofa to get an entirely different perspective on the room. It's really the holiday I never knew I needed. But my colleagues on the travel desk have an even better solution. Uh, You can join expedition leader and travel writer Monty Halls at 4pm on Friday for a live tour of Europe's freedom trails, crossing the Pyrenees, the Dolomites and the wilderness of Slovenia, all virtually, of course. Details of how to tune in either on Friday or afterwards at a time that suits you in the show notes. If, like Alistair, you have a question you'd like us to answer, email me. It's coronaviruspodcast at telegraph.co.uk. You can either type it in an email or record a voice note and you might hear your voice on the show. Don't forget that you can get 30 days access to the entire Telegraph website completely free. You can find all of our brilliant analysis, news, advice, videos, events and much, much more. Go to telegraph.co.uk slash audio. This is Coronavirus, the latest from The Telegraph. I'm Theodora Leloudis.